0: Welcome to X-Rated. Season 3! And we're back. Yeah. The I'm stakes a- have never been higher. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Ryan Whedon. I'm Matt Fisher. And we'll be your hosts on this journey. It took us 21 episodes, but we finally started one out introducing ourselves.
1: <laughs> I think I'm going to make that a goal for this season, <laughs> to always start with an Intro. Of some sort.
0: High aspirations.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna allow myself two mess ups. Three strikes on <laughs> fire.
0: <laughs> so out of ten episodes, I know. you can you give yourself eight chances to get it right. Yeah. Okay. That feels doable. Alright. Well stakes have never been higher.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean my my job's on the line here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll just hire someone to replace you. <laughs> with no time flat. I got uh, a stack of cover letters and resumes just <laughs> piling up at the front door. Yeah. I have Jennifer Coolidge in here to replace you. <laughs> I saw you also have that um,
1: talking dog <laughs> that says, Arroarro. <laughs>
0: hey, at first I was like, Wishbone? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God, Wishbone's in there? I can't compete
0: <laughs> with that. Oh yeah, we got the whole talking dog pantheon. You know, McGraw. <laughs> like that dog from Adventure Time. Jake? Yes! <laughs> All just clamoring to hmm. younger generation nipping at your heels. God,
1: can you imagine if Joe DiMaggio was on the show?
0: Jumpin' Joe DiMaggio?
1: <laughs> Isn't that his name? The guy who voices uh, like
0: Bender and Jake? I mean, Joe is a baseball player. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking
1: about the ghost of Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> that would be a real strange episode.
0: It's like Patrick Stewart being in Roadhouse. Yeah,
1: I guess we could have him on if we did, like, Field of Dreams or something. That would make sense, right? Joe DiMaggio? Oh! Dead baseball players?
0: Yeah. We'll never do Field of Dreams, though. Yeah.
1: What What is that movie about? I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. Other than, like, Kevin Costner carves out a cornfield to make a baseball
0: diamond. Yeah, if, if you make it, they will come.
1: The, the ghost. I don't know
0: who... Yeah, one, I think, is, like, the ghost of his dad that he had a tumultuous relationship with. Okay. And so, like, making this... <sighs> this is a real flimsy plot. Something... <laughs> Will be, like, a way to, like, connect through the generation. I don't know.
1: <sighs> I think I saw something on the internet recently where a dad was like, Son, I'm going to show you a movie that's really important. I'm going to show you Field of Dreams. And uh, he, he puts it in, and, like, the boy leans up really close to the TV, and you can tell that he's, like, has his sexual awakening seeing Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh,
0: Really? Look, I mean, type, his taste is, is questionable, questionable, but um, it's just cute. It was like when I watched the uh, sync video for Bye 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 for the first time. Mm-hmm. Just sitting in my room as like a 12-year-old being like, I hope this doesn't awaken something in me. <laughs> and, and it's awake.
1: There <laughs> it is. I explained to you. Ramen. Asked me to wear that ramen wig that one time. Mystery solved! <laughs> Just call me Jessica Fletcher. Yeah,
0: good job there, Veronica Mars. <laughs> you a regular McGruff, the crime dog.
1: Yeah, maybe I maybe <laughs> you got the chops. Yeah. For this. Maybe I could go toe to toe with McGruff. <laughs> after all.
0: Toe to toe with McGruff is the uh, name of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would read it. Yeah. Are you ghostwriting it, or you have someone in mind to ghostwrite it?
0: Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, the Ghost of Joe Dimaggio. Oh,
1: <laughs> a literal <laughs> ghostwriter. Wasn't that a show on PBS as well?
0: Yeah, it was like a purple
1: dot <laughs> for thirty minutes. Just
0: on. <laughs> well, it like spelled stuff That's and like right. gave clues to like solving mysteries in like a school or something. That's right. But it essentially looked like the flash from like when your picture's taken. Should <laughs> we start a podcast of, where we review every episode of Ghostwriter? <laughs> Shh! These <laughs> ideas <entities> aren't free. <laughs> all all thirty episodes. Yes. <laughs> and then when we're done, we'll review Ghost Rider, the two movies. Yeah. See if there's any parallels or connections. I'll bet
1: we could uh, we can sell this to someone. <laughs> there's got to be an audience for that, right? Followed by Roman Polanski's Ghost Writer. Yeah, indeed. Um, and then we could watch Ghost... <laughs> ghost Dad. And...
0: Um, go, Z go, writer. Ghost, guys.
1: <laughs> Let's put those on the idea board. <laughs> After this long break that we've just had. Yeah, um, it was good. Very refreshing. <laughs> probably had a lot of chance to watch something in that time.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, d- did you ever see the movie Green Room? Mm, tell me a little bit more. Uh, with uh, Patrick Swayze? No. I mean, Stuart? <laughs> no, but I heard about it. It was Anton Yelchin's last movie. That's right, yeah. they're like a fledgling rock band on a... Burnout tour. That's right. Like, you know, things are going awry, and they end up taking a gig at this skinhead venue. Right. Uh, and while they're there, they see something, you know, unsavory go down. Uh-huh. Uh, and the owner of the venue, played by Patrick Stewart, does not want any witnesses. I see. So they're sort of held up in the green room, you know, the, the titular green room. Right while, well, you know, stuff transpires. I've heard um, it's a horror movie, and I've heard it's a suspense
1: It it's, movie. it's definitely
0: closer to suspense, yeah. Okay. I mean, some of the violence gets pretty grisly, uh, but it's not like jump out and...
1: Right. There's no gore or like... There's uh, gore. Or there's no um, fantasy element or anything no, like that? There. No, there's
0: nothing like that. Okay. It's just, yeah, a bunch of white nationalist skinheads, and then like a... Uh, Hardcore band that that plays a you know uh, gig there. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about it though is that the violence was used. I don't want to say sparingly because there was a lot of violence, but it was used very effectively. Like it wasn't just like a constant onslaught. Like, mm-hmm. It was. I mean, I don't. I don't think anything really violent happens until you're like at least thirty minutes into the movie. Okay. And everything else, like outside of that, is just sort of build up. But. Cool. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Nice. I liked it. What about you? Did you see anything?
1: I did, and I'm debating whether or not I should tell you, because I'm probably going to make you watch it for the podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to wait. I wanted to hear about that weird-looking uh, mermaid movie that you saw. Oh,
0: The Lure. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, it wasn't exactly the most plot-heavy movie you've ever seen, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're... I mean, they're mermaids, but they're sort of more sirens, I guess. Uh and yeah, they can take the form of a human until they get wet and then they kinda of turn fishy again. Okay. But it's not like they're trying to disguise themselves. Like everyone kinda of knows. Like that's part of the lure. That's like part of their appeal mm-hmm. is that they like turn into fish. Mm-hmm. Uh but it also the soundtrack to it is like you couldn't have Taylor made a soundtrack more up my alley. <laughs> like, you know, a lo-fi electro dance with Flinty female vocalists, like that's just my jam. You're on it. Yeah. So the soundtrack itself, yeah, it was like very like you know, lo-fi new wave, early eighties type stuff. Cool. Uh yeah. And it's Polish? Yeah. Polish New Wave musical. You want to introduce our film this week i do all right
1: i do i'm uh i'm pretty excited about this movie um it's a big fan from 2009
0: would the, you say you are a big fan you could
1: yeah, I'm, a bit, I'm a big fan of this movie okay yeah <laughs> it's uh directed by uh roger siegel sure Did i say that right not the npr broadcaster um, he's a screenwriter, and used to be the editor-in-chief of The Onion oh. before he did this movie, yeah. Um, and it stars Patton Oswald, uh bravely deciding to play an appliance that blows air around. <laughs> <laughs> Need to deal with the wizard. Who... <laughs> wait, 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 no, that's not the movie. I'm yeah. thinking of something else. Uh, no, he, he's, um, he's a parking lot at. Of it. Uh, yeah, and on Staten Island, and he loves the New York Giants. Yes, there it's like his life. Yes, it's the it's the one it, thing that keeps him going. I was gonna
0: say like it's quite literally his life. He's got <laughs> nothing. Like he doesn't like his job. Yeah, he uses his job because it gives him downtime to think of things to say on the radio about yeah. the Giants. In, he
1: listens to radio shows about the Giants, and then regular call in thinks of things to call in and write say to them
0: yeah yeah his life pretty much revolves around the new york giants yeah
1: i want to start this movie where the movie starts i think the opening shot is great it's like it's of him in his little booth uh Mm -hmm. and it's but like i don't know four fifths of the screen is just the um the roof of the of the parking garage. Okay. And so it's just like, he's got this huge weight above him. It, it's almost like, it's, it's really uneven and it's like uncomfortable too because it feels like there's so much
0: space above him and he's just this small character. They do a good job because, you know, Pat Oswalt is Rubenesque and sometimes like when you watch his like stand-up specials, you don't get how tiny a person he actually is. Yeah uh whether that's you know by design or accident i don't know but and yeah the movie did a good job of actually making him look kind of small yeah but in comparison to other adults he's just very short in stature tiny so and and
1: his character is little yeah like he's just he's got a small small life but he's not unhappy with it yeah like everyone keeps trying to get him to get a job or get married yeah. or move out of his mom's apartment. <laughs> that yeah. one is kind of like, well, maybe you should do that. But um he's sort of he's just sort of like, no, I'm fine with. I like this.
0: Yeah, you know, he he has a sort of stunted masculinity to him, like mm-hmm. or you know, what's that a term arrested development. Hey, that's the name of the show. Where it kind of seems like he's stuck being like 13, 14.
1: Yeah. He still uh, has posters up of um his of his, the quarterback, yeah, or whatever his name was.
0: It, it the the quarterback's initials were QB.
1: Or no, he was uh, he was on the defense. He's like a I I don't know football very well, but his his <laughs> his name is Quantrell Bishop. So yeah, it's like QB. Yeah, He was. He, yeah, so he's on the defensive side. Oh, okay. <laughs> we don't know sports.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Uh. But that speaks to how good this movie is because we can still like it even though there's sports-based. Well, there's very talking. little sports in it. Even I mean, even the the sports talk is kept at a minimum. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: it's more just like a.
1: You could hang this story kind of on a lot of things, but like he's hanging on this framework of of sports
0: because
1: mm-hmm. um, it just shows like.
0: Well, sports is one of the few things that we allow people to really get obsessive about. Yeah, you know. If you got this obsessive about, like, a car brand, like, people would think you're insane. Yeah. But when you get this obsessive about a sports team, you're just a big okay. fan. Yeah.
1: I think it, it kind of speaks to, like, there's a collectiveness to it. Where it and, like, they, they do it in here, and I've noticed people do it when they talk about sports, their sports team. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, we are doing this. We're, oh, yeah. we're going to kill you next week. You know, like, I'm, it's no. like, you're not actually. They're going to yeah.
0: do it. You're just going to sit there. Yeah.
1: Or, like, our, the you know, Seahawks have the twelfth man, which yeah. is the fan. Yeah. Like, whatever. I mean, <laughs> as long as you're not hurting anybody, who cares? Yeah. Guys? But um, but yeah, you're. Kind, I feel like it's kind of like you're either on board with this movie or not before the before the ti- first title sequence. You know what I mean? Because okay. it's like it. I think a lot of this movie hinges on whether or not you empathize with Patton Oswalt or not. Okay. And um, if you think he's a petty Gross person or just a sad human being in that first sequence, you're not gonna like him for the rest of the movie. You know, yeah. like you have to you have to be on board in that in those first five minutes, or
0: you're just not gonna like it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think I think you'd still like the movie even if you don't like him because he's sort of like an obnoxious little turd, you know, <laughs> throughout yeah. the whole movie. And you know, it, I, I think what makes He's cheerful at least in that first half. Like he seems very happy, even when they're at like the world's saddest tailgates. Yeah, like they're like, they're loving it. <laughs> yeah, they're they're loving it, and even at the end, they're like, "And if we're out there in the parking lot, there's no way they can lose." Yeah, they just have the, yeah the little TV in like the back of like a station wagon yeah
1: it's funny too how they set that up because you make he makes you think that like oh yeah they're gonna go into the game
0: yeah they, I, I i've seen this movie before but even i thought like oh you know maybe park not so bad like of a job because you can afford to go to all these games and yeah. then we get there i'm like oh no.
1: he's not in the <laughs> he game. has the tailgate <laughs>
0: and yeah not even a glamorous tailgate like it is a sad sad little tailgate
1: yeah yeah because they had some they were showing shots of um other tailgaters really living it up with like grills and pizza yeah. and shit like that yeah. they did not have they any of they did not that. have any of that. <laughs> I like the title sequence going into that like with them driving to the game okay. I don't I don't live in New York or around there but um, I imagine because like he shows a lot of like road signs that they're passing mm-hmm. I imagine if you're living in Staten Island or no you know exactly what that is you know so, sure. like, that's kind of like an exciting feeling to see those signs, probably, as you're going in to go to the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, Staten Island's, you know, the working class portion of, you know, New York City. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, driving into Manhattan, Manhattan's, you know, the most densely populated, you know, suburb in the world. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, even, I think if, I think if you're going... Into Manhattan from anywhere in New York has got to be a little sense of excitement. Yeah. I mean, outside of Manhattan, like the greater New York City area, I mean, New York isn't really known for its other big cities. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You know, upstate New York's got, like, nothing Buffalo, (laughs)
1: Albany, Yonkers. Uh, But, so, yeah, so he's. He's living his sad little life to most people, I guess. I mean yeah. he kind of flips the script when he's at his nephew's seven year birthday.
0: You mean the seven year old with the 50 cent get <laughs> Richard Die Trying cake?
1: Yeah. Yes. It's such a yeah. It's such a perfect image to have on that birthday cake, though, because it's
0: like It really kinda of says something about these people's values. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, because then yeah, the the brother Or or the dad of the the birthday boy, Mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of sleazy. Like he's definitely, yeah, he's a lawyer. Yeah, and he's yeah one of those like ambulance chasers. Yeah, personal
1: injury, and they have a great um, bad lawyer or bad local ad. Oh yeah, I thought it was pretty pretty good for a fake bad ad.
0: We've got the experience you need to get the cash you deserve. Thanks, Bauman, Ophiello, and Paul. It wasn't Vern Funk bad, but it was <laughs> closing in on it.
1: There was a, it was pretty good. Um, but, he fl- yeah, he flips the script when he's talking with his sister because her husband is trying to get him a job at his Costco yeah. knockoff company. Yeah. And then she's like, you know, she's like, you should take the job. It'll be great. And he's like, okay, well, what if I offered you a job? Like... Say, what if I feel sorry for you working in your depressing dentist's
0: office? And she's like... How is a dentist's office depressing? But See, I felt like he didn't flip the script. Like, he was trying to turn the tables <laughs> on her, and it fell flat. Oh, to yeah. me, I, I thought, like, he, he came up short, and that just kind of highlighted, like, his insecurities about it. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Because, yeah, it's like, had, you know, even though he's a skeezy lawyer, he's still a lawyer. That's and then, true. you know, there's nothing wrong with working as a, you know, receptionist in a dentist's office. You know, you're not the one drilling children's teeth.
1: <laughs> I guess that's true. Um, but I guess, yeah, I guess I just feel like he's he's naturally defensive yeah. of it.
0: Um, with maybe some good reason. I mean, I'll be the first to say, like, you know, you shouldn't want just, like, what people tell you you should want. Mm-hmm. But I felt like he should have wanted a little bit more of life. <laughs> like, still living with his mother.
1: Who does his laundry. <laughs>
0: yeah as we find out later
1: yeah he's my age in this movie he's 36 oh really yeah which is like that is way too long to be living with your yeah, mom yeah
0: yeah cuz i mean the implication is that he never Moved didn't out. live yeah. yeah
1: yeah um that's that's the only part of the whole like characterization of him that i found really sad
0: oh yeah like
1: I, it's like if you're a parking attendant and you're fine because you've got you've always got football yeah and you're happy yeah. and like you're not hurting anybody go for it
0: yeah be, I guess it'd be one thing if if he had like a bigger friend base around it too but it's just him and like the other dude yeah uh Kevin Corgan I think his name mm-hmm. is
1: a uh, goon from Buffalo 66 or Rocky depending on how you think about it
0: <laughs> I was thinking that he was uh Ray Liotta's uh brother who was in a wheelchair in Goodfellas. oh right yeah. I was
1: looking because I wanted to see what else he was in. said he was um, in Exorcist 3. He's the altar
0: boy. Really? Yeah. Maybe he's just one of those guests in that dream sequence. Oh, probably. So. Callback. Yeah, I mean, it'd be one thing if he had, like, a big social network. Like, if if he was rich socially, like, that'd be a lot different. But he's not. He's got, like, one friend who sort of enables him. Yeah. And the talk
1: show that he calls into.
0: Yeah. And that's, like, the extent of his social life.
1: Yeah. And his mom, I guess.
0: Yeah. That's the
1: part that, like...
0: Their tenuous relationship.
1: (sighs) That's the... Yeah. That's the one part of it that I was like, this is... That's really sad. He needs to move out. (laughs) Or at least, like, start doing his own laundry.
0: (laughs) Or at least, like, maybe move to a room that's not directly next to hers he makes these late night calls and wakes her up every time and you know if I was the mom I'd be yelling on him to shut up too yeah 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 so I don't know it seemed like the house must have been like where he was raised ostensibly yeah he's got siblings there's gotta be another bedroom oh yeah good point or I would think there'd be another bedroom
1: one would hope unless the mom moved to a smaller place uh but one night yeah um sees uh, his his um the object of his fanaticism yeah uh Quantrell Bishop yeah and on Staten Island, and he and his friend whose name I didn't get follow them
0: sees them at a gas station, yeah, and they hop in their car and follow them into Manhattan, yeah, where there's just no parking, so one thing that I liked about this movie is that listening to it by itself would almost be a different movie than watching it and listening to it. Mm. So n- near the beginning, you know, when it shows him, you know, writing his stuff yeah. in the the parking garage as he's, you know, taking tolls and things like that and then he calls in, you know, a little bit later. If you were just listening to it, you wouldn't quite grasp how much he's rehearsing. Right. His seemingly uh uh impromptu remarks. Yeah, and he lies about it to his friend. He's yeah. just like, oh, I just say that. <laughs> and the, the only cues that he's lying are the visual cues. Right. Like, it's never explicitly, like, stated that he writes them out ahead of time. It's just, you see him writing write them out ahead Yeah, good time. point. Like, you kind of hear him mumbling a little bit, like, a phrase here and there, but uh, it's sort of important to see that he's writing down the full script and reading off of it mm-hmm. while making the calls. Right. And then saying that he just called in and made it up uh and while they're driving to Manhattan there's a scene where and I I think it really sort of highlights the type of like character that he is as they're going in he looks at uh the clock in his car on the dashboard and he goes man it's a little late to be like starting things and it's 1045 yeah (laughs) like Friday night 1045 Manhattan like that's not that's early yeah uh (laughs) And it's one of those things, like, if you were just listening to it, and you heard him say, oh, it's late to get started, oh, yeah. you know, you would read into it, oh, it must be like one or two or yeah. something like that. But it says something about Patton Oswald's character that 10.45 on a Friday night is late yeah. to, to go out and hit the clubs. And something about the,
1: the director giving us a visual cue mm-hmm. instead of, it's like, show us, don't tell
0: us, this is a mm-hmm. visual medium, <laughs> But, I, I, yeah, those two, like, they're contrasting things. Like, if you're just listening to it, you would think certain things. But when you listen and watch it, you get contrary ideas about this character.
1: Yeah. And that's funny because he's always calling it, like, one in the morning. So, like, it, he stays up late. Yeah. But...
0: Just doesn't leave the house, I guess. Yeah, he just stays in. I mean, I think he probably just stays in and waits for like the radio show to start. Right. You get the impression
1: too that he that he always calls at the same time. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. So he's go. They go into Manhattan, finally find a parking space, and he says a, a good line. Or they go, they pay for parking, and it's a funny line where he says, "We're still in the hospital," just where he works. <laughs> I thought that was funny.
0: Uh, and him struggling to find parking. That's also sort of telling that, like, this is really him out of his elements. Yeah. Like, yeah. Manhattan, <laughs> 11 p.m., Friday night. No way. No parking. No way. Like, I've been to Manhattan once in my life, and I can already tell you that there's no way you're going to find parking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They were lucky to find a garage. Yeah. They had a space. Um, eventually, they go in, and it's a, stri- a strip club. I'm assuming. There's
0: titties around.
1: Yeah, and, like, just grinding... Songs,
0: V.I.P. lounges,
1: you know. So that's where that's where our, our Quantrell is hanging out. And I liked this scene how they were lit. Did you notice this? How he's the um, Patton Oswalt and his friend are are lit in blue and red, like the Giants' colors. Oh no, I um, that yeah. The
0: whole
1: time, to- the whole time they're staring at him. There, he, he and his like entourage, Quantrell, are all lit really bright. Yeah. Um, but then when it cuts to um, Patton and his friend, they're really moody, blue, blue okay. in the back, red in the front. A la American anthem, uh, <laughs> and they uh,
0: second callback.
1: <laughs> it's just I, I was I, I was caught myself thinking about it a lot, and it continues until later when he gets beat up by the guy. Okay. Um... Where Quantrell is still filmed like completely lit. Okay. But Patton is still on that blue and red somehow. I don't know how they did that. And I I'm interpreting that as like <clears throat> Paul from Staten Island, you know, Patton Oswald is the actual like spirit of being a fan and like actually represents football and like things more so than than Quantrell who's actually playing the game does. Okay. I don't know. So sort of searching for an answer there, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's still he's pretty innocent. I mean, it's innocent what what he's doing, and he gets beat up for it. You know, he's just kind. Of, I guess he was following them, but it's like just so he can say hi.
0: Well, there's a scene where Quantrell goes to the bathroom, Patton follows him, and Quantrell walks out of the stall, and he he rubs his nose. So I think the implication is that he was like doing coke yeah. in there. I
1: think that's why they went on that stop off before too. They went and got the drugs. Oh somewhere. yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah, maybe I, maybe the lighting is just you know the bright white lighting is sort of uh, a reflection of how they they idolize him. Sure, 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 sure. That that you know the sort of bright white angelic lighting to the guy that is actually like you know, I don't you know maybe they caught him in a bad night, but you know it seems like kind of a douchebag.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, fame will do that, right?
0: Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> We're not maybe one day we'll know.,
1: <laughs> well, I can't wait to beat up our biggest fan, <laughs> so anyway, it's beat up he's in a, he's in the hospital, he's unconscious for three days
0: and it, it it sort of provides like a nice little existential crisis, yeah, he's beaten up by his idol and his his, his fanaticism for the team and for the player outweighs his desire for justice or restitution. Yeah. Uh, Even though everyone else around him sees, sees that clearly a wrong has happened. Yeah. And he tries to just go on as if it didn't happen, even though, you know, his actions are directly resulting in the team that he loves so dearly being hurt. Yeah. And
1: it's funny because it goes through a whole thing with a detective and, um, him being really depressed. And finally, at some point when, like, the charges get dropped because he won't cooperate with the police, they, like, there's that scene of him reading the paper that says, like, oh, Quantrell's back to starting. Yeah. Um, And he's, like, you see him smile and he's happy and he's, like, oh, good, everything's back on track. But then immediately right after he has, like, brain problems, like, you know, it's, like, it reminds you that, like, this guy beat you up and you're unconscious for three days. Yeah. Like... It's funny that he's willing to overlook all of that brain damage for crying out loud, because he wants—he just wants to go back to he wants it all to go back and have the team be winning again. And
0: yeah, you know. yeah, it's more important for him for the team to win than for restitution to be paid. Yeah. Have you
1: ever met somebody that that you kind of like idolized or looked up to, and then they and then they turned out to
0: be an asshole? I met Rufus Wainwright once, uh-huh. and he was a big diva one of the reps from whatever record label that he was on at the time mm-hmm. were like hosting a meet and greet after a show at the Triple Door. Okay. But he pretended to lose his voice so that he wouldn't have to talk to any of the people that he was meeting.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And then I just thought that was really... I don't know. You know, Elton John would never do that. Elton John would be fucking there for the fans. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you're a celebrity, like, the fans are what make you. And especially, like, at a meet and greet, like, no, you gotta, like, tough it up for this event. Yeah. So I was, I was definitely kind of let down. I was like, "Eh, that's just, that's such a prissy thing to do. That's such a moody, I'm a big star thing to do. And yeah, I definitely didn't care for that.
1: Yeah. It's funny how, um, because his idol becomes kind of humanized in a way, like getting to talk to him and, and be there. He like, Pat Nozzle kind of rejects his own humanity mm. because you know he's like everyone's trying to get him to defend himself and be like, this guy gave you brain damage, and he, he rejects it kind of outright. He's like, no, this is more important, like the 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 giants are more important. I just want to go back to my small little life, you know. It's like. Stand up for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it it must be an extra insult to injury. When he wakes up from the from the beatdown to find out that the Giants lost miserably to the Kansas City Chiefs, like that's yeah. his first concern, right? Yeah. And he's just like, Not only am I in the hospital and fucked up, but like my actions caused the Giants to lose because Quantrell couldn't play, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like in his world, that's just awful. It's yeah. like the worst of the worst things that could have happened. Yeah. Um But so, yeah, there's a big depression montage. He's really depressed. You want to know what
0: depressed me? Yes. When he orders a Coke (laughs) and puts a spoonful of sugar on the ice and then pours the Coke on top of it. Yeah. Like, I wanted to just vomit on the screen. (laughs) I can't drink Coke normally. Mm -hmm. Like, you give me a regular Coke. I got, like, three, four sips. I'm like, it's too sugary. Take it away. Yeah. Uh, So the idea that he needs it more sugary... (laughs) And I I think that kind of speaks to, like, the stunted masculinity... ...of his character, too. Like, he is just, you know, almost prepubescent about his wants in life. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that would taste like. I mean... In his bedroom, he's got a poster... That's very sort of pinup type poster. Yeah,
1: and they kind of accentuate that, too. There's, like, definitely a one or two shots that's, like, lingering on his yeah. butt and stuff. Yeah. So.
0: Uh, and I, I remember, you know, right after, like, I don't know if this is true for girls, but, like, with most boys that I know, you hit puberty and you kind of threw yourself into, like, a hobby or nerddom or something. Mm-hmm. Until you had sex, and then suddenly, like, you started doing other things. Yeah. (laughs) But I I definitely remember, you know, I would obsess with, like, Star Wars and Dragon Ball Z from, like, yeah, like, 12 to, like, 16 or 17. Yeah. Like, that was, like, my hardcore most nerddom years. And then, like, I get my V-card punched, and suddenly, like, I care about other things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I
1: definitely get the impression that he is still a, a virgin. Yeah. This character.
0: He seems sort of resigned to it
1: yeah like not upset about it again like no. he, he's o- he's okay with his life
0: uh but that that level of nerddom like reminds me of just like that like right middle of puberty yeah,
1: never for, grew for up boys,
0: yeah Ugh. and even like the way that like his mom scolds him is sort of like you know a conservative mother catching like her son like use tissues for the first time yeah it definitely like reeks of that like you know how could you like she's clutching her pearls at mm-hmm. the thought of it and stuff like that
1: well i get it like i mean whenever i go and visit my parents for more than a certain amount of time i kind of turn into my teenage self oh, again
0: yeah yeah and
1: so um, if you never left
0: yeah
1: you're just gonna and they'll stay in that role too. So,
0: last time that I stayed with my mother for like an extended period of time, it was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was during a big snowstorm. Mm. And she lived really close to where I worked. So, I was just staying with her for a couple of days uh, so I could walk to work really easily. Sure. And yeah. It, and when I say a couple of days, I mean like two days, one night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was because that exact same thing happened. It's like, First night, like, I went over, and, like, she made me dinner, and it was all nice and pleasant. We watched a movie. And then, like, by the end of that, like, or near, like, the end of that first night, like, I could feel myself becoming more like a kid. Like, yeah. I was just, like, sitting, like, in a chair and being like, Mom! Mom! Can you give me a beer?
1: <laughs> yeah. So just imagine doing that all the way till you're 36.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm quiet. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like, when I was 18, I was out of there. Like, oh, yeah, I me just too. just could not wait. I was ready to move out. But I guess some people are different. Yeah. But their their relationship is just so contentious. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like they both. Well, she wants it, but he just doesn't seem to.
1: Yeah, it, it, it probably is like a convenient plot device because when he finally does, kind of, sn- it seems like he's snapped, is when he's like. Calling into the radio show and he's trying to make a big... In, he's calling in on a different day than he normally does because he's trying to clear up this whole situation with the lawsuit that his brother brought against Quantrell for him. And dah, 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 dah. And he's on the show and he's talking and his mom just, like, can't take it because she has to get up early for, to get her corns removed. <laughs> yeah. And so she picks up the phone while oh, he's talking to the radio. Yeah. So, and I really feel like that's about the most embarrassing thing that could happen to him, you know? So yeah. it's like that is... it. It needed to be and That's like in like his safe
0: space too. Like yeah. that's like the one time that like he gets to feel like a king. Yeah. Is when he's like calling in on that radio show. Right and
1: she and he's like making a big announcement, you know, like Yeah. And she just like you need that to push him into the final just act of whatever so it is. So
0: emasculated. Yeah.
1: It's really like, not really only is it in the safe
0: space, but it's, like, as he's, like, confronting his nemesis. Yeah,
1: and then, uh, because she's on the phone, it, he curses, and the radio post yeah. turns on him, too, basically. He's like, Whoa, 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 no F-bombs, dude. You know that. I gotta let you go. His voice was just blah. I
0: can't yeah, imagine
1: listening to that guy talk.
0: Standard Wolfman Jack ripoff.
1: <laughs> so, he flips and yeah. uh, buys a gun. Yeah, yeah. With the intent of murdering his nemesis, Philadelphia Phil? Yeah. Yeah. Who's just as big a loser as... as
0: uh, yeah, I get the idea that, we find out. I get the idea that uh, Phil at least sort of has a, a wider social network. Sure.
1: I mean, I guess he goes out to, to see shows at places that aren't... Yeah, he, he goes out. to, like,
0: bars and, like seems to have yeah. at least he has you know several it. radio shows he calls into <laughs> yeah you <they do> mentioned <laughs> that but it was also just the way that he was sort of social with Patton Oswald before he knew who Patton was right kind of shows that he has like a semblance of you know regular human right interactive skills yeah good point
1: um but so he finds him at this bar and like it's it's the big game the the Eagles versus the yeah. Uh, Giants. The Giants. And uh, he, Patton's dressed up as as an Eagles fan. Yeah. And he can't... When they lose, the Giants lose, he can't bring himself to chant with the rest of the bar,
0: Giants suck. Yeah. Unless that, like, everybody else is doing it, and he just can't. So I've been in many a bar where chanting starts happening. (laughs) Never have they been able to maintain a rhythm for as long as they did. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you've been in a bar where they start chanting stuff. You got, like, five, six chants before it breaks apart. <laughs> Falls apart pretty quick. This one on for minutes. Yeah. There was even, like, a round because... Uh, That's right, yeah. Some people were just chanting suck, suck, sucks" while other people were going giant suck, yeah. giant suck.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, everyone around you chanting that on top of
0: it's your,
1: your mom's corns. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah, it really looks after and after being really depressed cuz your idol beat you up. Like you're going to want to take it out on
0: someone. You're in a bad spot, yeah.
1: So yeah, he follows Phil into the bathroom, shoots him. With paint spoiler alerts. <laughs> the first time I saw this movie, I had no idea that was coming. I and no for. Well, I was just it Really, I think the movie, it hinges on Patton Oswald's performance and you being empathetic to it, and it hinges on this final moment. Because if it doesn't work for you and make you smile, then, like, the whole thing is for nothing, you know? Like, it basically, the script, like, he digs a hole for, for Patton that's super, super deep and makes it seem like, yeah, he could, this man could commit murder. Yeah. Um over this,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, he's crazy, a fanatic, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but turns out he's just—he uh, just loves those giants. He's Just
0: a mischief maker.
1: <laughs> I like it. I mean, it, it makes me really happy. It's okay. I feel like
0: the darkness. It, it's it it. It's the one time in the movie where I feel like it's over-directed. I, mean, I don't want to say over-directed, mm. but nothing else really feels directed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like everything else feels very natural, you know, very just like caught unawares. And this is the one time where I feel like the director really steps his hand in and it's like, this is a work. Like this is sure. you know, my opus. And then to like have it sort of step back, like the director is pushing everything in this one direction and step back. I feel like it's a little bit, just of a trick on from the director, like, like manipulative. Yeah, that doesn't really fit in with the rest of the movie as much. Maybe that's just the way that, that like I interpreted it this time. Because I don't know if I felt that way the first time I saw this. But for yeah, the that part because it's not the ending. The ending. Uh, if if that's where the movie ended was like him running out of the bar Mm -hmm. and like getting caught if the movie ended there i would not like the ending Mm -hmm. but it's sort of redeemed by like the very very end yeah because it because it it brings it brings the tone back to where it was before right and for me it's he doesn't seem to really regret it that much yeah it's like he's not he's locked away during the off season (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: which made me wonder what do they do during the off season anyway but um, he's not unchanged. Like, this is the first... This is kind of the first time where he's standing up for himself in, in a way. Um, and so to do it in a way that's kind of funny... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I liked it. This is a, I feel like this is a really dark, kind of heavy movie. There are some yeah. laughable moments. But then to have it mm-hmm. all end with that...
0: Kind of with a joke... Uh, it makes it hard to categorize, I guess. So the the DVD box for this mm-hmm. has some really misleading uh, <laughs> aspects to it. A like it shows it like the cover is like Patton Oswald like smiling like at a game, which he's never really like at a game. Yeah. Ever. Uh, but it makes it look like it's a comedy, which I mean there are comedic elements to this, but it is a dark comedy. Yeah. And the. DVD cover makes it look kind of, like, bright and funny and blah, blah, blah. And then, Big fan. <laughs> well, yeah, on the back, it's, like, the IndieWire review says, like, a genuine crowd pleaser. <laughs> uh, I, I What did they watch? Not this movie. Man.
1: Because I feel, I, and I'm not sure I didn't watch the trailer today, but I, I feel like what I remember when this movie came out, I can't remember if I was reading about it or watching the trailer for it marketing it as, like, a dark, suspenseful, like, yeah. sports thriller. Yeah. You know? So it's I mean, like...
0: I it'd be hard because you put Patton Oswalt on it, he's a comedian, you think it's gonna be funny. This came out, what, a year or two after Ratatouille? Yeah, around the same around time. Around the same time? Yeah. So you'd think that, you know, his fan base at the time was probably looking for something lighthearted and jovial like Patton. Is. Yeah. And and this goes back, and I've said this before on the podcast. I think, I I think if you are a comedic actor, like if you can play comedy successfully, that's easier to turn around and do drama sure. than it is if you're you know a dramatic actor and you have to turn around and do comedy. Right. Uh, and you, this is like an example. I think Patton Oswalt made a fine dramatic actor. Ah,
1: uh, yeah, for sure. You know, he really sold like his a, performance in this a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he evokes empathy, even though he's like a little turd. Yeah. Uh, he sells it. He's very believable.
1: Anyway, overall, I guess my, my thing, uh, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I like, I like the twists at the end of this movie, and I like, like, I've seen a hundred, you know, indie dramas. Yeah. And so many of them are unremarkable in so many ways. And I feel like this one is is at least a couple steps, like at least one step, maybe a couple steps above those.
0: Who is it
1: that is it like Jerry Seinfeld who's like, I realize. The sports teams, people change all the time, so you're basically just
0: rooting for shirts. That is Seinfeld. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and your uh, impression is pretty remarkable. Uh, thank you. I've not
1: been working on it at all. <laughs> uh, what, what do you What do you want to
0: follow this up with for season three, episode two? <clears throat> I don't feel like we've done trash lately. Yes. So. This isn't the trashiest trash. Okay. But it, it, it definitely hints and suggests a trash. Uh, this is Ross Meyers' sexploitation classic, Faster Pussycat Kill oh, Kill. Oh, man. I've never seen it. It is real good. <laughs> it, 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 it It's an early sexploitation film. Probably really the first of its kind to make a splash the way that it did.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And... Yeah, you know, he's just a fan of the female form, and we'll talk about it later, but I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, Russ Weiner was actually, like, very pro-women's rights. Oh, okay. And I think it comes out in this movie a lot. Oh. So, yeah. uh, I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I'm excited, too. Was there any other uh, things you wanted to address before we plug our junk? Uh,
0: No, not unless I'm forgetting something you're trying to subtly hint. No. Follow us on Twitter at xratedmovies. We also have a Facebook page, rated xmovies, and a email address, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. All
1: those are great ways to contact us. And, uh, according to the Facebook page, we respond within an hour. So, usually less. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, And also, rate, review, subscribe on whatever service you're using. Tell your friends. Yes. Get them all listening. Yes. And, um, thank you for listening. Yes. Listener. I wish, I kind of wish at this point we
0: had a call-in. now. Call-in to our pre-recorded show. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll work on it.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> Bastard Pussy Get Kill Kill next week. Next week.
0: week. Or next week. See you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.